Today's episode is brought to you by McLean Middleton, providing trusted legal services to businesses throughout the region for over 100 years. Hi, everybody. This is Jeff Feingold, editor of New Hampshire Business Review, with our Down to Business podcast for Thursday, January 27th, 2022. A lovely winter day. Wake up to five below. It's not that bad. Anyway, this week we have on uh, Brian Gottlob, who is one of the prominent, preeminent economists in New Hampshire. He's the director of the Economic and Labor Market Information Bureau at the Department of Employment Security. And I've known him for many years. He we used to be comrades in arms back in the days on public radio, making regular appearance talking about what's going on. And uh, I thought it would be great to have Brian on, you know, and it's still, while it's still January, to talk a little bit about what he thinks we should be expecting in 22 economically. So Brian, first of all, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Really great to be here, Jeff. Um, wonderful to be on, uh, 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 any kind of program with you again after our NHPR days. Really enjoyed that. Yes, yeah, it's, actually, it's, I was thinking the same thing. It's great. But um, how about, I'm going to just give you an easy question right now. What the heck's going on with the economy right now? Yeah, the, the, well, there's a <laughs> lot of things going on and, and maybe too many of them. Um, you know, I think if, when I sum up what I think is happening in the economy, one, I think it's better than, than we're giving it credit for. Um, it's certainly, I think, better than most consumers are giving it credit for when you look at things like the confidence, consumer confidence or consumer sentiment. Um, there's kind of a, a feeling among a lot of individuals that the economy isn't performing very well. But in reality, we've been adding jobs at a very good clip, a very good pace. Um, the concerns that seem to be affecting consumers the most are things like higher gasoline prices. We saw a big increase in gasoline and, and energy prices over the last year. That tends to have a really big impact on how consumers feel about what's happening in the economy. They see food prices that have gone up and they're just tired of the coronavirus and its subsequent variants. So I think there's a little bit of a, of a malaise that isn't really reflected when I look at the economy's numbers. You know, we've had good job recovery. We're not back to where we were prior to the pandemic, but we're getting there. Uh, GDP growth has been strong. We have taken a hit, um, both with the Delta variant. We look like we were getting on a pace to recover jobs at a faster rate. The Delta variant hit, slowed us down a bit, recovered from that, and we thought, oh, we're back on track. Omicron comes, and all of a sudden, we have two to three times as many people saying they're not at work because they're either sick with the coronavirus or they're taking care of somebody who has the coronavirus. So that's had an impact. It's really set back the recovery, but we're still, you know, those are temporary factors. We, 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 we've got in place um, the seeds for a very good 2022. You're talking about this country as a whole, or and what about New Hampshire in particular? Are you talking yeah, about both. New Hampshire? Yeah, I, you know, in a lot of ways, New Hampshire, certainly when you look at New England, um, New Hampshire was recovering at a faster pace. You know, we were recovering jobs at a faster pace. We were seeing our unemployment claims decline at a more rapid pace. When I look at a lot of indicators of how people are interacting 
um, and engaging in their regular economic activities, things like you know their trips to work, um, their willingness to dine at restaurants. You know, there are a lot of private sector data sources that I've looked at during the pandemic that have really added um, to the government data. New Hampshire looked like we were engaging in economic activity at rates that were above what most of New England was at. So, and we were on pace to recover more rapidly. I will say with the Omicron variant, or however it's pronounced, um, you know, that has that has set us back and it's made us look a little bit more like the rest of the country and the rest of New England. So it's it's taken a, a, a hit on our recovery. Again, I think it's temporary. The things that I hear are that, you know, we're not that far away from a peak um, in terms of cases. And if that's the case, I really expect once, you know, th that's really, that's really the thing that is holding us back. It's certainly not um, not a lack of job opportunities. It's certainly not a lack of demand and income on consumers' side. It's really the uncertainties around um, the coronavirus and its will and the impact it has on individuals' willingness to engage in kind of the normal economic activities, dining out you know, uh, shopping at retail spots, working in their offices. Those are the things that um, that are holding us back. The only thing that's really holding us back. Now, yeah, well, you see, because I'm looking at it like that COVID really has uh, just just threw us, threw us all for a loop back in school. We're in the third, we're basically in the third year of it almost, you know, going into yeah. year three. And, uh, you know, you look at the economy back in, in 2020, it was just a disaster in the spring. But we, it seems that we recovered pretty well. The, the thing that I'm looking at it is, it also is directly related to two of the most serious problems we have in the economy right now. It's the supply chain and the related inflation. Right. So what, what do you see about that? What, how, how are you looking at what it, about inflation yeah. and, and the related topic of interest rates? Yeah, yeah. And, and those are, in, inflation and supply chains are both primarily COVID related. Now, you know, COVID has, has devastated the supply side of the economy. Almost all of the problems that we deal with right now, whether it's in New Hampshire or whether it's nationally, are on the supply side. Supply side in terms of labor, because we're down, our labor force is down, we're, our labor force is down in New Hampshire, it's down nationally. So we can't produce as much as we would like to produce. The supply chain is affected, not just in the US, but internationally. You know, a lot of what we, uh, you know, what we buy and what we produce is dependent upon um, components that are produced in other parts of the world. And particularly in Southeast Asia, where the coronavirus has shut down, it, it has tended in the past to have a very big impact on production facilities. So, you know, we see that in things like the microchip, um, you know, the closure of microchip plants that has resulted in, you know, I, the last I saw there was a five-day supply of microchips in the U.S. in the supply chain. Yeah, which is amazing, which is why instead of, you know, more than a half a million cars on, on auto dealers lots, we have 50,000, you know, a tenth of what we would typically have, which of course means the price given the supply is, is down, the, the, the price is going to rise. So this is what I had in the forecast that I produced 
um, recently, what I had originally thought was likely to happen is a couple of things. One, I thought the energy situation would would ease. I think it is starting to ease. It had certainly started to ease. We saw um, gasoline prices come down from 350 for a while to getting closer to $3. So I had fully expected the first half of 2022 to see an ease in energy prices. Now, that could go awry because of international conflict. Um, you know, we, we see what's happening with, with, with Russia. You know, I don't think it'll happen, but if Russia decided it, or for whatever reason, its oil wasn't going to go on the, the national, the, you know, the international market, oil prices would rise. So I expected that oil prices would, would, would come down. That would help inflation because so much of our goods, particularly things like food, is transported by truck that that would ease some of those pressures. The other thing I thought would happen is, is that as the coronavirus ebbed, that supply chain issues in primarily in the second half of the year would ease substantially. Um, that is looking a little bit more problematic given you know, the successive variants of, of the coronavirus. But the other thing that, I, that you know, I've kind of factored in is that I think each variant, and there'll probably be more of them, we're hearing about another one that's related to Omicron already, um, that each successive variant is going to be a little bit less disruptive. Now, I had thought that would be the case. It hasn't necessarily been the case with Omicron, and it hasn't been the case with Omicron because so many people have been affected by it. Again, mm. the last I looked, there was over 800 or 8 million individuals who said they were not working in the past week or two because they either had the coronavirus or they were taking care of somebody who had the coronavirus. To put that into perspective, you know, in 2020, in the first half of the year, we were seeing numbers like 2 million. Hmm. And now we're up over 8 million. So it has really leveled the labor market, the labor force over the last month or so. And this is, you know, I've, I've been pretty optimistic about job growth. I'm really worried about this coming Friday, February 4th, is going to release the national job numbers. And Omicron was at its worst during the week that the Bureau of Labor Statistics surveys businesses to see about their employment. So, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but it's possible we could have a negative job growth number, which doesn't really reflect the status of the labor market, Jeff, because we yeah. know there's lots of jobs out there. So if you see if you see a decline in employment, you're going to say, oh, my God, there's going to be the media will be saying, oh, you know, the economy's yeah. faltering. If that were to happen, because a couple of weeks later, we, we released the New Hampshire number. If by any chance it happens in New Hampshire, then, you know, we'll be apoplectic that somehow the economy is falling off a cliff. It's not. The labor market is very strong. It's all on the supply side issue and it's all related to the coronavirus. Well, I have to say that, you know, I know memories aren't very long, especially for Americans, but, you know, you think back to April uh, 2020, we had a 16-something percent. Yeah. Yeah. Right now. yeah. And it went away in a few months. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying yeah. to be a Pollyanna about it, but, you know, no. it, we went yeah. way through it and yeah. we worked our way through Delta. So it, it yeah. will happen. But I yeah. do agree with the media, the way they cover that kind of the number itself. It's like just covering the Dow Jones, you know, and that's reflects the stock market. Yeah. No, that's not really true. Yeah. But 
Yeah, just to, you know, each month, um, the last couple of months have been a disappointing national job growth number. Yeah. But in each, there's three numbers. That number is 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 first published and released the first month. Second month it gets revised, and the third month it gets revised one more time. The media reports the fact that job growth was disappointing this month, um, but they don't pick up on the fact that in the subsequent month, it was revised up another 100,000. Yeah. And then in yeah. the month after that, and before you know it, we've got our about 500,000 jobs that we've been created, been creating on a pretty regularly monthly basis. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of problems with the whole survey process during the, the pandemic. Companies are slower to respond. Um, and But the bottom line is when it all shakes out, you realize that we've been adding jobs at a very good pace um, that, Nope, but nobody nobody remembers. They see the headline: job growth disappoints in November, um, or job growth disappoints in December, and then they don't read the subsequent monthly revisions. And we realize, I'm not worried about the labor market. The labor market, Jeff, is the last thing we should be worrying about right now. We should be worrying about the supply of labor, and that's a largely related to. The coronavirus, and there are some other issues. You know, we we we've seen a lot of older workers step out of the labor force. A lot of them, you know, they've had the, I won't say the luxury, but they've seen their retirement portfolios increase pretty significantly over the last few years. Their housing values have gone way up. There's a coronavirus out there. Maybe now is the time to step out of the labor force. So we've seen nationally that. The percentage of people who are eligible for Social Security who actually filed is way up. About two million more people in the past year applied for Social Security than would be expected given the typical percentage. I'm sure that's happened in New Hampshire. I look at the labor force participation in New Hampshire. Where is it declined the most? Declined the most at the upper end, and particularly that 60 to 64 people mm. who typically would be working. The other area where it's really dropped has been, this is surprising, is, is some young people. And, um, you know, 25 to 29 year olds, particularly men. But when you think about it, a lot of those individuals have had, you know, a lot of those people work in, in jobs that um, are in hospitality industries and recreation industries and retail industries. A lot of those folks got laid off. They got a lot of benefits. We had stimulus payments that provided a few thousand dollars. Their student loans, if they have them, have been put in abate, abatement for now until May, I guess. So they've kind of had the luxury to stay out of the labor force for a bit. They did in big numbers. They're starting to come back. Those people will come back into the labor force. So I think labor force issues are going to start to resolve, um, at least at the, at the younger end. The other labor force issue that we haven't got a solution to is the child care issue. And that has had an impact, and that's been affecting people. Primarily, the most it's been affecting is is uh, women who have younger children, age six and under, and those tend to be in that 30, you know, upper 20s to mid 30 range. And that's another area where we've seen a, a pretty significant decline in the labor force, and it's largely related to the need for the need um, individuals to step out of the labor force temporarily, at least, because of childcare issues. And as schools close, that makes it worse. When they reopened, it got a little bit better. Now with another variant and kind of the intermittent closures, we're seeing it happen again. 
Yeah. Well, I just want to take this quick break. Is this is really interesting? Hold on. Yeah. Just for. McLean Middleton is one of New England's premier full-service law firms, with headquarters in Manchester, New Hampshire, and offices in Concord and Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Woburn in Boston, Massachusetts. McLean Middleton has over 100 attorneys in five locations and has been providing trusted legal services to businesses throughout the region for over 100 years. A full-service law firm with practice areas in corporate, tax, employment, litigation, trusts and estates, energy and environment, intellectual property and privacy, and data security, to name just a few. McLean Middleton's commitment to their clients, community, and colleagues has helped them to establish and maintain long-standing relationships as trusted advisors. Whether you are starting your business, growing your business, or preparing to sell your business, McLean Middleton has the experience to guide you through the complexities of the legal system. For a complete listing of their practice areas, attorneys, and locations, visit www.mclane.com. Okay, we're back with Brian Gottlob giving me an education, and I'm sure you, in, in what's going on with the economy right now. So, Brian, you were talking about uh, labor participation, and we report the numbers every month, and it seems like we do have like a it looks like the, the number of people who want to work just is just is keeps shrinking, shrinking. Yeah, and we have this dichotomy where we have there's jobs everywhere. They still they still right. are right. great. Right. You know, right. There's still companies all over and in almost every industry is looking for people. Right. So what does what does that mean? What how does that affect that? That's going to mean our this New Hampshire economy is not going to be growing or working on all cylinders. Basically, that's what we're saying. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's an economy that is not operating at its full potential. Okay. You know, the, and you know, we had labor issues prior to the pandemic, um, and it tended, yeah, because we we had a slow we have a slow growing labor force. The the U.S. in general, with the exception of some states that see a lot of in migration, um, has generally seen slower labor force growth. So that means that basically anybody who is of working age um, needs to be working if we're, you know, if our economy is going to continue to grow. And more than that, we're going to have to match very well. We're going to have to match the jobs in demand to the skills that um, are available, that individuals have. The pandemic has done a few things, um, you know, some of them good. Um, it has raised wages, particularly among lower skilled uh, occupations much more than in middle and upper skill occupations. So those individuals have seen more opportunities. So you think, oh, well, that should induce more people to get back into the hospitality industry or, or whatever. But it, ha it, but it hasn't. I mean, to a degree it has, but it hasn't as significantly as we would like. So those industries have been particularly hard hit. They have, but we also, ha we also have, you know, Throughout the pandemic, we saw high numbers of job openings in manufacturing, um, you know, in healthcare, um, jobs that, um, you know, are well-paying jobs. And that's where a different issue is, and that's really the skills match. You know, the ability to, to get people um, to have the skills that are required by the economy. And we're not we're not as good at that. I mean, there's two ways. We can get people, we're getting people back into labor force. We will. 
one, we're underestimating, we're undercounting, or the BLS is undercounting the number of people in our labor force. I guarantee that. We saw 13,500 more people move into the state last year than moved out. And yet we still see a labor force um, that is shrinking. There's a number of other issues. I guarantee those numbers will be revised up every year. There's a bench, so-called benchmark revision. Those numbers will be revised up. Our job growth numbers will be revised up. I guarantee that. How do I know that? We're adding new businesses at a rate well in excess of what we had prior to the pandemic. Um, new business formations are very high. Um, those businesses don't get surveyed for you know, maybe up to a year um, in the monthly surveys. It takes a while. So anytime when we have a lot of entrepreneurial activity, our job growth numbers tend to lag that and they get revised up after. So our labor force is growing more than we think. Our job growth is more, more than we think. But the critical issue that we have that won't resolve itself is how do we get people not only back into the labor force, but into those occupations that are most in demand? You know, there was a time and I, I, I don't I'm not in this aspect of, of what New Hampshire Employment Security does. But there was a time when when somebody was unemployed and they came into an unemployment office, what you did was you found them another job, similar job with another organization. Yeah. That isn't good enough anymore. It's not good enough because some of those jobs aren't coming back, but there's other jobs in other industries. Hmm. So we have to really, we have to rethink and improve our, our, our training, our, um, we have to reallocate a lot of labor. If we're good, if our economy is going to grow the way we, we want it to, the way it could, if we can match um, workers with the, the jobs in demand, huge challenge that has all been made much more difficult um, during, during the pandemic and the post-pandemic era. <laughs> and I say post-pandemic optimistically, right now it's not looking like a post-pandemic uh, <laughs> economy. Yeah, I'm not putting any money on when it, when it is going to be post, but anyway. So I, I did want to, because this is, a, this, this is a topic of the day that we're talking on 27th, is the Fed's decision uh, yeah. announcement that it will be raising interest rates. Yeah. Part of me thinks that this isn't such a bad thing because, you know, they have no tools if, if they ever have to lower interest rates. Right, right. And uh, but it seems to be that I, I'm, I'm trying to think what do, what do you think the ramifications of that you know, of of a yeah I think I, yeah well we're starting to we're starting to see it already um, with the stock market um, you know one of the reasons why the stock market and all asset all assets all asset classes have risen as much as they had over the the last many years has been the fact that interest rates have been so low. So, you know, when you think about what the value of a of a stock or an equity, you know, it's the it's the present value of future earnings and that pre the present value of of a stream of earnings in the future is affected by the inf by inflation rate. So, the lower the inflation, the more valuable earnings are in the future, stock market values go up. Um, so we're starting to see it now. A lot of, you know, the stock market has been pretty erratic, and that that's a that is one of the threats to um, to the U.S. economy. Is, you know, we've seen a bit of a correction in the stock market, or started to correct, and then it seems to bounce back. Um, so 
one, it's going to have an impact on on those asset values. So, you know, we're not going to see the kinds of uh, of increases um, in values that we saw in the past. And, you know, depending on how dramatic that uh, you know that downshift in values is, um, it could have impacts uh, on the over overall economy. Um, you know, one of the things, the other concern, the, one of the concerns that I have is that it, you know, the Fed could overshoot. It's going to be doing a couple of things. It's going to be, you know, um, it's going to be lowering um, its, um, the value of the assets it has on its books, meaning basically it's going to be, um, instead of buying securities, um, mm. you know, uh, U.S. Treasury securities, bonds, it's going to be selling them, which will take some uh, money out of, of the economy instead of injecting it in, into the mm. economy. Um, at the same time, they're going to be looking to raise interest rates. Um, you know, that combined could have a greater impact, and depending on how, how much they raise interest rates and how quickly, um, you know, that could have some negative ramifications and they could oversh overshoot. The, the the thing about um, uh, and the interest rate, letting the economy run a little bit hot, um, meaning keeping interest rates a little bit lower, has some some value and it has particular value to lower income households <laughs> because it tends to be a situation where um, jobs are more plentiful. Um, when the economy is constrained because of higher interest rates, um, you know, it, it tends to have a greater impact on lower income households um, and middle income households, but particularly lower income households because they spend more of their earnings or their income on things that are, uh, you know, affected um, uh, by inflation. They're not as protected by inflation. So, um, you know, the combination of, of the potential, it, the low interest rate environment is actually very good, and we've seen it, you know, over the last several years. Um, tends to be better, you know, very good for not only people who own assets. That's great, um, you know, people who own stocks and homes and things like that. It, it's very good, but it also tends to benefit lower income individuals. And when you raise interest rates and you slow the economy, the group that gets affected the most tends to be um, lower income households, you know, both on the job front and then on their expenditure, their household expenditure front, it tends to hurt them the most. So my concern is both in terms of slowing the economy, but it's also in terms of worsening what we've seen in terms of equity mm. over the last decade or more, where a lot of the, you know, a lot of the the wealth has, has, um, has gone to upper upper end of the income scale. So we're seeing that nationally uh, more. Um, and I think a, a, a dramatic tightening and in uh, by the Fed in terms of interest, raising interest rates, et cetera, um, will tend to widen that, widen that gap. It'll certainly hurt asset values, but it will tend to hurt um, lower income households, lower at the distribution. Um, because there'll be fewer jobs available for them and um, their household income is more affected by by higher inflation. So um, there's a there's a my fear on that is not that interest rates aren't artificially low, they should be raised, is that there's a risk that we, meaning the Fed, overshoots and tightens yeah. too much and it has some negative impact real negative impacts on a broad 
segment of the population. I don't think they'd be particularly troubled if just asset values come down because they're pretty high. You know, the stock market, people think it's maybe not a bubble, but it's pretty valued pretty high. Same with housing values. That's not a particularly troubling thing if those values don't rise the way they have, but it is more troubling from my perspective if the opportunity is available, um, you know, more at the, at the in lower um, skilled occupations, lower um, income distribution, if those opportunities are diminished and if, they're, if their expenses are, are dramatically increased, I think we worsen that, uh, you know, that divide. Yeah, having, having lived in the, uh, through the, uh, the 80s, the, early, the late 70s, early 80s through stagflation and we had interest rates of, you know, yeah. I don't know, yeah. 15% or whatever. And inflation. Oh, yeah. Car, yeah. House, yeah. Housing, you know, mortgages were 15%, how, cars, you know, loans 17%. Yeah, we're not, you know, we're not to that, to that point. Um, and I do think, you know, in my scenario originally, as I said, was I thought energy prices would come down. That would ease some of the price pressures. Yeah. Um, and then, and as supply chains started to heal or be rejiggered so that there was less of a constraint, that would have an impact on prices as well. Low, you know, prices wouldn't be rising as much. So that would create a situation where the Fed wouldn't feel the need to raise or run the risk of raising too much. Now, you know, th th that scenario is maybe less likely than I thought even a month ago. Um, you know, it, it is a little bit more problematic. The other thing is, the other part of that that I had kind of factored in is that people have spent a lot more of their money on goods over the last year and a half than on services because services were less available. It was harder, and you know, with the pandemic, there were more service occupations that weren't available. You know, I mean, for a long time, people were reluctant to eat in restaurants and they were or more reluctant to eat in restaurants, so they didn't spend as much there. Um, you know, salons, beauty, whatever, services, flying, staying in hotels, people spent a lot less money on those kinds of, of, of expenditures. And they were spending, because incomes were rising, we had a lot of stimulus, we, you know, a lot of income support, people were spending more of their money on goods at a time when goods were harder to get. There were fewer of them <laughs> because of supply chain issues. Um, and because not just supply chain, but because factories were closed because of health issues. So we were creating, we created a situation where more money was being funneled into a segment of the economy that, you know, that just was affected by supply issues um, on the supply side. So that exacerbated the price pressures. So I had kind of, my thinking was, People will start spending more on travel and they'll start spending more on those kinds of service activities. Less price pressure on goods, that will reduce the price pressures on, on goods. But again, with every new variant of the coronavirus, <laughs> that looks a little bit less, you know, that scenario is maybe a little bit less likely. So maybe that doesn't occur. So, yeah, I, I have to say that even over the last few weeks, I've become a little bit less sanguine, although we're, you know, the economy's in good shape. It, it's just not, I think, going to grow what I had expected it would grow, um, you know, even a month ago or before the Omicron virus. So what we need is a new profession of someone who's an economist and an immunologist. 
predictions for that? But, you know, it, it, it's it's funny because um, people, you, you hear immunologists, I've heard immunologists say, um, or epidemiologists say, you know, that the key to getting the economy back, and they probably don't know exactly why, but the key to getting the economy back and really roaring is getting the virus under control yeah. Um, yeah. or better under control. I think almost every economist that I know agrees with that. Mm. Um, were it not, had we passed out of, uh, you know, beyond the, the pandemic, um, you know, we would have seen in the, uh, you know, I had forecast last year, I think at this time, about 7% annualized GDP for the US economy. We're not gonna get there and it's largely because of you know these successive waves, yeah. uh, we were we looked really good late summer of last year, in you know 2020 or even you know 2020 and then um, at 2021 and then Delta hits and we take a that took a big hit on third quarter um, GDP. So uh, until we get that under control, all bets are off. It's going to, our labor market is going to continue to be strong. There's going to be lots of job opportunities, which means a couple of things. People are going to be moving from one job to the other. I see a lot of that. We see very high quit rates, not only nationally, but New Hampshire had among the highest quit rates in the nation over the last couple of months. And it's because, why? Because there's a lot of opportunities out there and people and businesses are raising their wages. So uh, the other thing I looked at is the wage growth among those who switched jobs versus those who remained in their job. And those who switched jobs saw significantly higher wage growth over the last year. You know, so their 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 job I mean, that's creating a lot of problems for a lot of businesses because they're losing people um, you know on a regular basis. There's a high turnover cost. Um, great, great for people who are willing to work. Um yeah. <laughs> You know, they they and they have some skills in particular. They have a lot of uh, opportunity. But even if you don't have a lot of skills, I have I have a individual who works for me here whose 15 year old daughter got a job at a grocery store for $15 an hour. Someone told me the same story. So it was just a first first job. Yeah, very first job. Can you imagine, Jeff? I think my first job, I I don't think I made three dollars an hour. <laughs> I think I made like buck thirty-five, as you know, the minimum yeah. wage ever was at the time. You know. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. So you know, even individuals without you know a lot of uh, of skills or even uh, without much experience are receiving pretty significant um, you know uh, wage offers. And it's, you know, it's causing people to move into all kinds of uh, different occupations. So we're seeing a lot of, a lot of churn. The other thing we're seeing is that, you know, some industries are getting hit double whammy because, you know, some industries have just been particularly hard hit during the pandemic because there's burnout. I mean, the healthcare, we're starting to see an industry that didn't typically have really high rates of quits traditionally, seeing that quit rates in that industry jump up. Um, we know there's high quit rates in things like retail and hospitality. You know, part of that is opportunities for higher wages, but also part of it is, is the fact that during the pandemic, man, it was difficult to be in, in that, those positions because you enforce social distancing and mask requirements and people were awful. <laughs> a lot of people were just awful during the pandemic. So we see a lot of quit rates in those as well. A lot of churn in the labor market. Unfortunately, we have to have a quit right here on the on the podcast. I wish we can keep going on, but uh, 
Yeah, I kind of rambled there. Sorry. Maybe we can have you back at some point to discuss yeah, a little uh, bit. Yeah, when I'm a little bit more constrained. I mean, I just, I, you got me going <laughs> on some of these topics and I rambled. I didn't give you the opportunity to even ask any questions. No, no, no. I thought this was great. Actually, I, I got a lot out of it myself. I really was really very, very. Well, I, uh, I hope, hope the audience did. I, I hope the hope audience that. did. We'll find I, out. As but, I, say, I am frequently in error, but I'm rarely in doubt. <laughs> Anyway, that was Brian Gottlob, who's the director of the Economic and Labor Market Information Bureau at the Employment Security, an economist, uh, and my friend. And I would like to say thank you very much, Brian, for, for joining us today. And be well, everybody.